0: You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I say no. Foster Foster Care Nation. Nation. Listen up. up. This is
1: Foster Care and Unparalleled Trinity.
0: Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, and I'm Parallel Journey with Jason and Amanda. And today, oh yeah! By the way, guys, you did hear Amanda here. Um, <laughs> she really is here today for a while. Um, I'm
1: still alive.
0: She's probably, yeah, I I let her go out of the dungeon there and (laughs) let her have a little freedom for the day. Uh, She's going to have to disappear at some point in this episode because she does have to pick up a kid, so don't think anything too awful scary happened to her. We're just chasing kids because we had a night last night. We had a night with a daughter who stayed out at a friend's house and two boys who stayed at grandpa's house, and it was just her and I and the baby, and it was so insane. I mean, I don't know how... If you don't have a, a half dozen kids in your house, I don't know how you guys sleep without you know a certain noise level. Because it was a little bit disconcerting to come into a house that was quiet. It was. I kept feeling like something bad was happening, and I, I was just <laughs> waiting for it to happen. Like the flames will come through soon. The bang, the boom, the screaming, and it never happened. We just, we just went to bed. I know. And slept. <laughs> It was amazing. Well, it was... you
1: slept. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: I slept. You couldn't sleep. It was too quiet.
1: I kept waiting for the kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, today we have with us an, a foster mother and an author. We have Carmen Maria Navarro here with us today. She has the book Fostering, A Memoir of Courage and Hope. How are you doing today, Carmen Maria?
2: Very well. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, we're excited to talk to you because... We like to talk to crazy people sometimes, and by crazy people, I mean foster parents.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're all crazy for taking into uh, this journey.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, and what a journey it is sometimes. Sometimes terrifying, sometimes enjoyable. I mean, we've had baby girl with us now for what, almost uh, 11, months. 11 months, right? Yeah. Yep. And I mean, I'll be honest, she's she's been a, a joy of a kid to have.
2: Oh, how, how nice. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when you get them so um, little and you see them grow and change so significantly. No, it's uh, it's oh, yeah. so precious. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean it, it's neat. You never know what one week's going to hold to the next. And right now yeah. she, she's at that age where she's babbling, she's crawling, she's standing up, she's trying to take steps, and you know it's just it's fun. And she's
0: not yet two years old, and so the terrible twos haven't shown up yet. However, yep. she did just wake up from her nap. I think, um, or I just heard a noise. I don't know. Amanda's going to go investigate <laughs> noise. Um, <laughs> is
2: she? Is she mobile?
0: Um, not terribly. She, if we let her out of the uh, the uh, crib or the playpen or the play area, she can crawl. She can. She'll definitely crawl. But um, we. She hasn't figured out how to climb yet.
2: So when they learn
0: how to climb, you're in trouble because unless you have like a cage with a lid on it, they're just going to get out. That's what they do. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes.
1: And
0: people frown on putting your kids in cages with lids, I'm told. So we, we don't have, <laughs> well, we have a couple of cages, but they're just for the dog, just for the dog kennel at night. And, and if you look at back far enough on my Instagram, you'll see plenty of pictures of kids and, and dog kennels. But that's where they like to hang out. They crawl in there with a the dog and, and curl up. I promise that is not what I'm doing just to keep them. They, they have opposable thumbs. They know how to get out of that cage.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> I, we have a two-year-old right now um, that is giving, our, giving us a run for our money. He gets onto everything
0: yes yes our little godson he comes and spends about three evenings a week with us when his parents both work evenings and three nights a week they they uh need somebody to keep an eye so he comes in and he is he's about two and a half and oh my gosh oh, it's, oh my
2: yes it's
0: like two and a half with with you'd swear this kid just had a couple fat rails of cocaine or something i'm like child i can't keep up with you and i'm a grown man
2: Yes. I think I've lost weight since they arrived and how much I'm <laughs> running after them.
0: <laughs> I know the struggle. I know the struggle for sure. Oh, man. So so what brought you into the foster world? What made you decide you wanted to be a foster parent?
2: Yeah. So it's so interesting. Well, since I was a teenager, uh, we had to do volunteering for school to graduate. And my best friends and I, we volunteer in a mental health institute and they had a whole pavilion of children that were, had been abandoned and had a significant either mental health issues or physical disabilities. So that's when I started realizing, that uh, and this was back in Peru, uh, that there were so many kids that uh, needed homes. And then when um, I came to the U.S. and I met my husband, uh, I always wanted to adopt a kid, and and then he said, "Have you heard about fostering? Like, I want to foster." And I'm like, "I had no idea what fostering was." So then, um, through the years, we got uh, I became more aware, and 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 that's where the uh, the curiosity one thing led to another, and here we are, uh, many many years later, a uh, bunch of kids later, and uh, we are full time foster parents, <laughs> in addition so- to having bio kids. <laughs>
0: So how old were you when you came to the States?
2: So I was about 28. I was pretty fortunate to come to study um, uh, my master's degree. And then I got a job that they sponsored me and I met my husband. I told him I was looking for someone to give me a green card. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, I met him, and it was a coincidence. He had four kids when I met him, and I fell—I say I fell in love with the kids even before falling in love with him. And then they came as a package deal, so I—I I married them all five.
0: <laughs> okay, so okay, so you, he he brought bonus kids in, right?
2: He brought bonus kids, uh, four, four of them. Foster
0: kids, and you, do you guys have biological kids together?
2: So we had two together, so now they're fifteen and ten, and then we've had. I think we counted the other day, about four, 14 foster kids through uh, the years. Yeah, some long-term, some short-term. And right now we're having two little ones who are seven and two. They've been okay. with us for a while, but they're on their way to be reunited with their uh, uh parents. So that's a great thing.
0: I love it when I meet people who are crazy like me. Who You know, I, I tell people sometimes, I think I'm every kind of dad you can be. I mean technically speaking I'm a bio dad I'm a stepdad, I'm a foster dad I'm an adoptive dad like I have all the different titles you know if if those jobs came with a paycheck I'd be rich
2: Oh I know <laughs> Well we've never adopted it's funny because we I've always wanted to adopt but then you see the statistics no and you see like 420 430,000 kids in the system and only 120,000 of them need to be adopted. But what happens to all the rest? So there are a lot of kids that are not on the route for adoption that need homes. And you and I know that every kid deserves a home. So that's what we're trying to do, to help as many kids as possible for that as long as we can.
0: Yeah, and, and I will say that, uh, you know, we, we have, what, our four youngest were adopted through the foster system you know so so we try to take a few kids out of that list but it's just crazy when we sit back as amanda and i have done the same thing you mentioned a few moments ago to sit down and try and figure out how many kids we've had come through our home and that's why i tell people it's it's between 20 and 30 kids yeah because at some point you just it's it's a struggle to remember i think it's just because i'm getting older my brain's not quite as <laughs> sharp as it used to be and i blame that all on most of these kids that have come through and and scrambled up my brain a little bit <laughs>
2: oh my goodness and sometimes the permanent kids seem like they have uh, so many needs as well
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah our uh, our kids ha- have had their moments you know we we've dealt with some mental health issues with our kids um with several of our kids we've dealt with some uh some you know some addiction issues with our some of our kids when they got into the teens and my goodness if you people can hear that i don't know if the listeners can hear that but we are getting one heck of a rainstorm all of a sudden and it sounds like it's trying to come through the windows over here so
2: oh, sorry, i didn't know what to, it was yes
0: yeah people you you're just gonna have to listen to the rain i'm sorry and Uh, because the one sound i can't get out is rain and and i can't stop it i've (laughs) i've uh, talked with god and he doesn't listen to me when i ask you to fix the weather otherwise it'd be 70 and sunny all day
2: well it will be like meditation that background sound
0: (laughs) there you go (laughs) there you go oh so so you you got into into foster care and you guys have fostered you know over a dozen kids I'm curious, what is the biggest lesson you would say that you guys have learned that you didn't expect the surprise? I didn't, because I think we all expect to come in and and, I mean, some of the stories you're going to hear are difficult from kids to hear some, some of that kind of stuff. People expect that, but what have they taught you that you did not expect them to teach you?
2: Yeah, so many, many lenses, but I think two primary things that I learned that I wasn't expecting is one that what the book is trying to address, that is the impact that, uh, the foster that foster care has on the permanent kids in the house i think as adults and as foster parents we get trained we get prepared we get emotionally there we're uh we think we're ready (laughs) but for our permanent kids they're not they don't get any training they uh they don't necessarily know how to react and they suddenly have to share everything have to share their rooms their toys their parents time so that was a a rude awakening on on how I did not realize how much this impacted my own permanent kids, and and how much unprepared i i was and they were. So that was the first big one, and then the second thing is you also hear about the uh, biological parents and and that they don't necessarily love the kids or they are bad parents, and and that's so not the case. So there are parents that are unprepared to be parents. I, I think for the most part, the majority of the bio parents love their kids. Sometimes they're unprepared, whatever circumstance it happens. But we've been able to reunify a few kids. And right now, for example, the two uh, the, the kids that we have at home, we're having an amazing relationship with their biological parents. And it's just so beautiful how we're partnering. Uh, we're co-parenting extremely well and how we're partnering to support the kids as best as possible.
0: You know the the dads group that I always mention that I'm in. Um, one of the one of the things that they we have a couple different groups in there that meet whose particular goal to talk about is co parenting, and it, that's one of those things that I mean outside of the fostering world, divorce is real and and it's happened in so many places. And learning to go to co parent, it's such a difficult skill. And and I watch guys over time who come into that journey and then do an amazing job with it eventually. And, and have a relationship that's got its struggles, obviously, there's a reason why people are divorced, but but they become great co-parents, and everybody works together for the betterment of their children, and I think that's a model that we can look to as as foster parents with the kids that, that we have as, as a co-parenting strategy.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, and, and um, this bio-parents in particular, they're so uh, willing to to partner with us. They're always willing to learn. They're always thinking what's best for their kids. And it's just beautiful to see them work their plan and and be, be doing everything that they need to do. And, uh, and very open to, to partner with us, which is, um, which is great.
0: Oh yeah. You know, we, we had one young girl stay with us for a while and, um I just recently heard from from her bio mom who got a hold of me and said hey you know she's been back with me for the last year or so and she really wants to see you guys and and, and you know i double checked with the county workers and all just to make sure everything was kosher and on the up and up and and um and they said oh yeah from what we know you know it's all going really well and and so we've talked about trying to set up that play date unfortunately in our life right now amanda and i have both been going through some health issues mm-hmm. in the recent past and so for the last couple of weeks we, we haven't been doing a whole lot of anything just trying to deal with our own stuff but um, but that's you know that's a relationship that we can kind of we have the opportunity to keep going because we don't get that option very often to do no
2: that. no we don't uh, I'm glad she reached out to you and uh, and that at some point you'll be able to to see that child no it's unfortunate sometimes uh, uh, we've had cases in which we don't hear again um, anything about that child and it's heartbreaking you know, because that child has a place in our heart and sometimes that child has called you mom or that and. And you love that uh, particular kid, like your own, and then they disappear, and it's a, it's a loss. And it's a loss for everyone. It's a loss for them. It's dramatic for them. It's dramatic for us. And and the other piece that I did not realize, it's dramatic for my kids as well, when they had a friend or they had a sibling, and then the sibling suddenly left.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I, I talk about baby Carl sometimes. Um, baby Carl, his name was not Carl. Um, he had a completely different name. But however when um let's see this has been several years back because our daughter was was younger then and the first time she saw him she said he looks like a little old man he was a baby he was a newborn when we first got him so he looks like a little old man he looks like his name should be like carl or something and it kind (laughs) of made everybody laugh and and then um he uh he was affectionately known forever and after as carl baby carl and so when i talk about carl you know that you know all privacy stuff's being taken care of there but when Carl, Carl was an, a newborn, when he came to us, he was born and his mother was incarcerated, and so when he was born, he um, he came to uh, to stay with us for his first year of life. And he was, it was just before his first birthday that he had some family members who had some other stuff going on in their life that nothing, you know, of their fault, just some other things going on that they were finally got it all taken care of and they were able to take him back in. And when Carl left us, I'll never forget, we had been doing regular visits with, with the bio family and the little food place that we would stop a lot of times we would meet her there and they would do visits and, and we would sit and all that good stuff. That's where we met to uh, to to take him back, and where they took him home with him for the last time. And when they did, like I had, oh, let's see, that was that was probably almost ten years ago. So Austin, my one of my so, older sons, he was probably about eleven years old, and an eleven-year-old boy. He was so upset; it hurt him so bad to watch this all happen. Aww. He was outside of the car, he was crying and ended up throwing up, he was crying so hard and oh, like man. it was it was this big thing and everybody in the house was so strongly affected because Carl was, just so you know, the almost the happiest baby I've ever met. Oh my little guy I have now he, he edged him out just by a little bit on the happiness scale, but Carl was just like this little spot of joy. Um at the time our oldest son was probably thirteen years old. And he would a 13 year old boy he'd come home from school and he would look at, at whoever had whoever was holding carl and he smiles like give me the baby i want to hold the baby how many 13 year old boys do you know want to hold the baby right none right right so carl was like the spot of light he was just oh. the happiest child you could ever ask for and so when he left it, it left such a hole in oh. our home to the point where I couldn't buy a smile in my house for $1,000. And so oh, I, I eventually, we just picked everything up. I had a three-day weekend coming up. I said, we have a, we have a few dollars in the bank. We're going to take a trip. And we drove down to, I think, Memphis that time and, and spent a weekend, a three-day weekend down in Memphis just to get out of the house because toys are everywhere. like Every evidence of the baby is in the house still. Yeah. And so we had to get out. And, and that's how much it affected our family. We needed to take not just a mental break, but a full physical break, to step away from everything for a moment, just to be able to kind of go be us for a minute and breathe.
2: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I completely understand. We've, we try to take moments in between placements to And some moments have been long. I mean, we've been without kids for, in some case for a few years and, and, uh, and the prior one, the one, the book is about, uh, a girl named Lucy and in that case she affected me for so many in so many ways emotionally and then my youngest child uh, for different reasons and we had to take a six-month break but also leave town we took a trip and then came back and and then counseling <laughs> I mean it's the whole process to recover from in some cases from the grief and in some cases from just the impact um alone
0: Oh yeah, because you're dealing with kids who come who come with trauma. Yes, and I don't think a lot of times we really give that enough credence—the level of trauma that's coming into your home that you have to learn to help work through.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I'm uh, and and there's such a thing as secondary trauma that I did not realize existed that uh, that it happens to social workers, for example, who who are seeing the the damage firsthand. I bet you a lot of foster parents have secondary trauma from what we hear that has happened to the kids, from what we see that has happened to the kids. And then I I think there's also uh, like not secondary, but primary trauma, the things that that we've experienced with sometimes the behaviors that that the kids have due to their trauma. So, yeah, yeah, it's real
0: absolutely you know that one of the things that you know that people don't realize is that there some of the stuff these kids come to us with are some really difficult things if you had a kid who has oppositional defiance disorder ODD now for some people they're really good with certain things for me i am not good with ODD that's a challenge for me and i know that I know that because we met one particular little guy who who taught me that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I learned that no matter what anybody says, I am not as wise, patient, kind, or great of a human as I as I thought I was before I met that one. You know, reactive attachment—that's another one that you'll. Oh. oh my goodness, that one can come with some real scary stuff. And yes. uh, you know, Amanda and I—we we have our own therapist. Uh, we we meet with him regularly, at least once a month. And if you're a foster parent and you don't have a therapist, what are you doing? Um, Go do that.
2: Uh, Yeah, 100%. I don't think I now have joined uh, a therapist. She's amazing, Kathleen Beers. Uh, She's really, really good. And she created this uh, group of foster moms, and we um, do Marco Polo. So we, I mean, I cannot survive if it's not for them. Because every issue that we have, and we share, and we give each other advice, and we all come from different places—religious, not religious, uh, younger, older, different age groups—and just the experience and the support group has been unbelievable. So, therapist and support group.
0: Oh yeah, and and anybody who doesn't know what Marco Polo is, I just recently stumbled across this app. It's such a cool little little app where you can you can just do it individually send a message to somebody or you can set up groups where you you do a quick little video think like your instagram story or something you, but you can just do a quick little it's a record button and you can just rant and rave like you won't believe what i just dealt with or or some, <laughs> yes. some something big that just happened some joy that you're you, you want to share with people and um and um uh, just to say just to have that support and connection with people around you you yes. know, and it's, it's, a, it's a neat little app because people can respond to you. They can watch your message when they have time and respond when they have time. And it's just a real cool, cool thing that I've seen.
2: Yes. And it's been a great tool also to share videos with the uh, bio parents of, of the kids. So uh, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great connection tool. So, you know, so if Marco Polo hears this and you guys want to sponsor us or something, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for somebody to help cover the cost of this stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah, of course, <laughs> right. because fostering it, is not cheap.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. And, and for the people who, who talk about foster parents who do it for the money, the thing is is that there are foster parents who do it for the money. And if you do it in a particular way, you can make money that way. You can try and get a kid rated up real high and, and get some sort of extra money because this kid is rated for this, that or the other thing. But the vast majority of us, we're not worried about trying to rate kids a certain way. And I, I don't know about, let's see, what, where are you located at again?
2: In Modesto, California.
0: Okay, so I don't know what California has as far as, as their reimbursement rate for foster kids. Here in Missouri, we are the second lowest state paid state or, yeah in the nation. And so we receive roughly $236 a month to raise a kid.
2: Oh, wow, that's very low. Um, we receive about $1,000 a month per child uh also cost of living in california is my i bet you different than missouri but yes yes. it doesn't yes yes it is uh it most of the time we put money from our own pockets to cover the cost i mean from like summer camps like 200 dollars per week half a day for example like uh, that doesn't (laughs) that doesn't cover much
0: yes yes
2: yeah or, uh, or diapers or whatever my youngest little one is allergic to all the diapers that exist so <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah and so you know if you're doing it right you're going to lose a little bit of money in the whole process that's just the way it works you know i mean we we try and do all the things we can to, to make that make more sense you know with having well our older boys are out of the house now but they were attempting to eat me out of house at home for a little while you know and that was a thing like just keeping food and you know for everybody that was so we you know we actually just went and got got why well, affectionately named our our, um, our newest addition to the house Wilbur because um he um he showed up in in package form and nicely frozen and and ready to go in the freezer we we you know so we buy our meat in bulk or we can because you get such a better price and and we're always trying to find ways to to do it to where we can stretch the money further but it's it's not a money-making venture no. if you plan on taking care of kids the proper way.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. And, and luckily here, we also work through an agency, and our agency uh, is very thorough. So they make sure they almost, um, I'm not saying they audit you because they're super kind, but they make sure that the kid is well taken care of, and and we're supporting the kid with the stipend that we get so yes you're closer to chicago when we did uh fostering in chicago years ago it was ten dollars a day
0: okay yeah yeah that's that's a much closer price range there and and, um what part of california is that in now i I don't know my geography very well
2: yeah no no worries this is the central valley and uh and it's north two hours east of san francisco
0: okay okay yeah i was let's see um um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Monterey, that's where it was. I was in Monterey for a little while.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. Monterey is beautiful. Yeah, we're two and a half hours away from Monterey, more or less.
0: Okay, so if you go to Monterey and, and look for the for the little military base up there, the Presidio at um at oh, Monterey yeah. that I was stationed out there for a little while, and oh, it was gorgeous, and it was wonderful, and a cup of coffee would cost you $5, and that was back in 1990-something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah cost of living is uh, <laughs> so. so there's some other ways that we need to look at savings but yeah
0: <laughs> yeah oh absolutely I, so but but that's one of those things even even you know whether we're talking about foster kids bio kids because you know we we've had bio kids we've in foster kids and on all that through this entire journey pretty much and so like we have to we have to pay attention to our finances to to give kids you know be as, as equitable as we can across the board
2: that's so so important being equitable and and the most difficult thing on being equitable is that the kids that come with trauma normally need something else from us and uh, and it doesn't feel equitable for for the permanent kids
0: you know i was recently talking with one of my older boys and they're old enough they're out of the house and you know the one's been off to the military already and the other one, he's um he's off on his own and got a job and living out in the world and and all that stuff. So they're they're a little bit older and have some more perspective now. But I think it was Austin who told me. He said, you know, back when when we were fostering and I was younger, you know, because we had talked about this before we did anything. We talked and they were totally on board with it. But as we all know, with kids, their their mindset changes about every thirty five seconds. And you know, he said, you me and CJ, we we kind of felt like maybe we just weren't enough for you guys. And that's why you brought in Aww. other kids.
2: Oh, that is heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. You know, how, how
2: did we, you feel about that?
0: You know, that, that, that was one that cuts to the cuts a little bit because I've always like, dad has been, been, well, when I met Amanda many, many, many years ago, she already had CJ, um, his bio dad bounced when he was very, very young. And then we had Austin and really quickly after we met, and then her oldest or her younger sister half sister ended up coming to stay with us because they they shared a mom but she she's always dealt with some addiction issues and she lived in our house and called us mom and dad and it was that was our little family of three and dad was always one of my identities my primary identity as a matter of fact you can ask my boss they get very very aggravated with me when they want me to work an extra day and i say no I don't work extra days. I give you full 60 hours a week already in five days. I am not giving you a six day that those days are mine. That's my, I don't come here just to make money so that I can support my family and let uh, I'm not the financial source for my family. That's not my only role. I'm a dad. I have, I have people at home that I actually like. I care about my wife and my kids and I want to spend time with them. And I'm not going to spend more time with you just because you guys can't figure out how to keep staffing at a level to make it make sense for you. That's not my job to fix that for you. you. Know. this is what i do and that's part of my identity and so when he says that to me it's like hmm is there something i could have done differently yeah to make him see that differently And i don't think honestly i don't think there is because let's be honest when we're talking about a 13 14 year old kid maybe their mind is not what we would call fully formed yet
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah some some of the things they believe don't make sense yeah. But I understand that they think it and they feel it. For it's a real feeling. It's a real thing that they're dealing with.
2: Yeah, it is. That's actually um, a, the main storyline through the book. is is about how I've learned about that impact that that I had on my bio kids and that foster care had on the bio kids. And I'll remember remember a story from one of the first chapters that we had um, a kid. Uh, his fictional name is Danny, and uh, and how amazing and how much he got along with all our our kids and then when he left I did not I was so concerned about my grief that I didn't realize the grief that my son will have and they were siblings and I did not I really did not think about that and how selfish of me (laughs) Um, and and then another one um also in one of the first that was our first kid um his uh fictional name is is um Andy and he came as they come sometimes with nothing no with your plastic bag and and almost nothing in there and he had no shoes and the shoes that he was wearing his feet were like his toes were uh, crawling outside the shoes and I just grabbed a pair of my kids uh, shoes and gave it to him and my son was like he's wearing my stuff like my shoes my pajama and it's like yeah but remember we said we were going to share and my son who was I think six at the time said yeah but you should have asked me I'm okay but you should have asked me and that was mind-blowing and it's like it's so obvious they're little ones but they have feelings and they have thoughts and we should respect them as well
0: yeah you know I was I grew up in a house and please don't anybody think that this is me talking against my parents because it's not but my dad he had this idea that his his idea was that he was a benevolent dictator and like, look, I give you things because, because I want to, but at the end of the day, I'm the one in charge here and never forget that. And to some level, yeah, there, there's some of that that needs to be in there because I'm responsible for a lot of stuff that, that you're not going to get. But at the same time, at the same time, realizing that when you do stuff like that, man, it's, it takes away a part of the kids, things that they feel are theirs. And you're, you're truly affecting them in ways that you don't think they are especially yeah. when like these dude. these are your old shoes we'll, we'll get another pair it's not a big yeah. deal. to me it's yeah. not a big deal
2: to me it wasn't but apparently it was and uh and it was a great lesson
0: oh yeah yeah because because you never know that those are the the, the shoes that he won the important race in, whatever it is you know they're the cool shoes that, that had a picture of Pick your action figure here on, or something like that. But it, it, it all has such w- different effects on these kids because yeah. they come to it with with a whole different perspective, a different worldview than we do.
2: Yeah, yeah. I interview another kid in the book from another family who also had a very tough situation in with a kinship placement. And when I said, uh, when I asked him, "Did you ever tell your mom or your dad how you were feeling?" and he said, "No, I, I." Couldn't I didn't feel that it was um, that it was fair because the other child had so many issues that I felt it was unfair if I complain about it. So no, I just stayed quiet and, and I prefer not to share anything. And we I didn't realize how invisible he he felt and how unheard he he will never share anything with his parents.
0: Well, and I don't know about your culture and where you come from, what you know, what your parents were. I know in, in my family of origin, emotional intelligence was not a um, a real strong point. I guess you would say. You know, my mom had her own struggles with life. My dad was a police officer, so you know, talk about compassion fatigue. Somebody who deals with the dregs of society in their worst moment wow. every day. So he was coming home from work every day, putting away all the stuff he just dealt with. And, and as an adult, you know, we talked about a lot of the stuff that he would seen. You know, he'd walk into a house where a kid had, was is black and blue from head to toe, and he's got to deal with a man who just beat a seven-year-old boy to a, you know, just almost unconscious. And that's what he deals with that. And then two hours later, he comes home to his family. Wow. And so emotionally speaking, he was not a very emotionally open human.
2: And he I had understand that why. Or thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 nothing against him, but but I had a lot of that in my own experience, and and I, I wasn't a terribly emotionally open person because I it wasn't modeled for me for obvious reasons, and so I've had to learn how to how to go back through through some of that stuff and give that to my kids in the best way I can understand how.
2: Yeah, um, well, my culture is probably different than what my parents are. I'm from Peru and. It's, um he normally grew up in a very Christian uh, Catholic type of, of way in in the country and very patriarchal and uh, but my parents my my dad is um the epitome of love and generosity and he's the sweetest guy and my mom is also super generous much more strong and rational so <laughs> emotionally I think that roles were a little bit re- reverted uh than what they normally are. My dad will cry with every single, um uh, the Olympics, someone wins. He cried mm-hmm. <laughs> very expressive on his feelings. And, and that's how I am.
0: <laughs> and that's something I've had to learn it's several years back. I remember, um, yeah, because our uh, the the oldest two kids that we adopted from the Foster system, they were with us when our, our oldest daughter went through her journey with, with a really nasty disease and eventually passed and mm. and as we were talking through some of that afterwards, um my my daughter says to my wife, she related to me later, she said, you know, Jenia says, I've never seen dad cry and I'm Aww. thinking Yeah, probably not. Oh Most people haven't seen that.
2: I'm sorry. Because How are you right now? Are you I feel you pour your heart with this podcast a lot of times.
0: I have learned over the years that that I have to embrace some of the emotion of life. And so I I do now approach that a whole lot differently. I still like, and it goes back to a lot of stuff in my my own childhood experience. I I was not raised in an emotionally expressive home. And so I don't express emotion a whole lot, except for anger and rage. I've got that one down. Like I can do anger and rage in a heartbeat. I'm the big, hairy, scary guy with a big black beard. And so if I put on a mean, hate me face and, and I can control a lot of situations that way. And I've learned to use that one. But other than that, most of them are fairly repressed emotions that I have to take the time to go back through later. And um, and I spend a lot of, you know, my mornings, my early mornings, because I do I get up at two o'clock in the morning. Because I have to be at work at four and wow. I sit at this desk right here and spend some time in prayer and meditation and, and journaling and bible reading and and that's the a time for me to, to dig into into my personal emotional life a lot deeper. And it's it's been a great journey for me because because I didn't know how to do that for a lot of years. Wow. And, and you know, and when our older kids were younger and we had just started fostering, my older boys did not know a dad who understood emotion, period. Just, I did not, it was a language I did not speak. It's like dropping wow. me in China and thinking I'm going to get along. I don't, I can get along in Korean a little bit. I've forgotten most of what I learned back in the day. But if you put me in China, I'm lost. I don't even know how to ask for a bathroom in China I'm in trouble. <laughs> and that was my journey with emotions, really. It was, it was a place that I did not, I did not really um fully understand and I didn't have the the skill set to give that to my kids you know years ago.
2: Wow. And um and do you think now I I hear you give uh, advice and you mentor other men how is your mentorship in regards to showing emotion?
0: You know, I have I have found that more times than not, um, through through the dads group, I meet a lot of guys who who are maybe in a hard spot. They're dealing with some stuff that that maybe I've dealt with. Um, I had a guy that I met in there whose whose daughter was really sick and she had a a terminal diagnosis. Mm. Um, I, I have another another friend of mine who's in that particular group right now who's his his daughter's a little over a year old and I forget the name. It was one of those nice technical names for for some sort of weird um. What would you call it, like a uh, genetic condition that uh-huh. she was born with? And and the doctors told him, you should expect to bury your daughter by her fifth birthday.
2: Oh, my goodness. Devastating. You know,
0: he and I have had some some deep, hard conversations because because I've held my child's casket. I know what that feels like. I have been through that. I've walked through those particular fires of hell. And so, you know, I can have those conversations with him. And I find it's it's interesting. It's it's almost like it's it's my opportunity sometimes to to understand and process some of that emotion that that yeah. I really don't think I processed at that time. Wow. I know I didn't because I did like a lot of guys do, and I found methods to numb and to get away from. You know, for me it was whiskey. It was you know, and I talk about this. I I only drank one had one drink a night. It was it was a seven hundred and fifty milliliter. Drink of whiskey, and it was the glass was shaped a lot like a bottle. But then mm-hmm. that's that's I, I jumped off into the alcohol world because you know it was the only way I could numb all the emotions. And now you know I find when I mentor some of these guys through some of these hard things, it allows me to reprocess some of these emotions in a healthier way because from a distance I can see, I can see what we walk through. I can see yeah. yes it's tragic, yes it's sad. No, I would never have picked this route but i can see some of the beauty that's come from it as well yeah. at this point.
2: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sorry about your child.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, it was it was a horrible time for us, but yeah. but you know when when my daughter mentioned that she had never seen me cry and it, it kind of hit me because i thought, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Through that process, i think there was probably only a couple two or three times that i did, you know, really express emotion or cry and yeah. and i don't think anybody saw it to the point even a man wow. who you know, she, she's already gone she she ran off to go go pick up a kid but um you know she said one day to me because she is a very emotional expressive person if she has an emotion you know what it is um she she doesn't she doesn't hide those and and she she said one to me it's like you don't even care sometimes wow and that hit me because i'm like no you you just don't you don't read my the way that i write you know, you can't understand the language that I speak and I get that because I don't speak it very loudly. You know, my, my emotional language was was very, very difficult for people to see because it was hidden a lot. And so yeah. when we bring in some of these kids who have these hard things, when we're talking to our bio kids about things that they're dealing with as we walk this journey, mm-hmm. I've had to learn to take the time to stop, pay close attention to what I see. Yeah. And respond to that.
2: Yeah, Wow. It's interesting because I feel that um, that everything that we've gone through as uh, foster parents and just g- generally in life, it is, um, to me, it makes no sense not to share it because it could help others. And, uh, and, and that's what I feel you do in your podcast. You share your stories. You share other stories. And that way people can identify and can feel less alone and can acknowledge that that is something maybe... Doesn't happen to everyone, but it's okay, and it's normal.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you've never had a kid in your home with reactive attachment disorder, um, you need somebody to tell you you're not crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: Because I'm going to tell you, that one, that one makes you feel like you're crazy somewhere along that journey.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: And then finding some of the skill sets to deal with this stuff. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy by the name of Chris Voss. No. Chris has a book. It's called Never Split the Difference. Uh, it was written to business professionals, which you would not think would be very appropriate for, for parenting kids. But Chris was the lead, the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI's international kidnapping team. Wow. Um, he, he, interesting dude, like really interesting guy. And in his book, you know, he he writes the book aimed at business professionals, um, be, and he uses skill sets he learned in literally negotiating with terrorists. And if you have a two year old in your house, you negotiate with terrorists.
2: <laughs> that is true. I need to get that book.
0: <laughs> it is a hundred percent true. And, and he, he, there's some skill sets he teaches in there. Things like labeling, and I, su- it's, I swear, he, he says this stuff, and I, I tried it out, and I'm like, okay, let's see how this works. You know, labeling an emotion when I see one of my little guys. um when turtle comes in the room and he looks when he's angry, you know, he's angry. He does not hide anger very well. And so when he comes in and he looks angry, I look at him and like, dude, you seem like you're angry. And just let that set. Let he, let the label set. Let him, yeah. let him, and he'll look at you. And if he's not angry, if he's sad, he's going to correct me. I'm no. not angry, dad. I'm just really sad right now. Tell me about that. You know, what's, what's causing the sadness in you? and and it it just opens up room for a conversation and as as you learn to have those conversations with kids that will tell you things that you would never have gotten out of them any other way in the traditional like what are you mad about question that i would have asked in the past
2: wow i need to read that book (laughs) yeah he he has
0: he has a handful of skills in there that he he teaches and and they're so very useful and i'm not even going to lie recently amanda's um She was coming home from church and some young fellow who uh, I imagine was probably dealing with his his TikTok uh, scroll more so than he was paying attention to the stop sign at the end of the exit ramp. And he pulled out in front of her and totaled her car. And fortunately, he was hurt. But her her Suburban that we drag all the kids around in was hurt enough that they totaled it. And I had to go find a new vehicle. And I'm going to tell you, those same skill sets work great when I'm negotiating car price too. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> i'll definitely need to read that book
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes because the price i bought the car from for was actually less money to purchase it than what the uh, insurance company was even eventually willing to give me
1: that's unreal
0: car, oh yeah and well and the the price they started trying to give me when they're going to total the car like i use some of those same skill sets in order to negotiate a better payout on on the total you know when they totaled the car and it's as it turns out, we're going to end up making a couple dollars, you know, a couple hundred dollars, maybe not a whole lot. We're not going to get rich off of it, but it just the skill set. It, it works in a business world. It worked with the insurance company. It worked with buying a car, and it works with kids.
2: Oh, I need it for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I need to high five you for the amazing work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's a, it's it's so amazing how we're all wired basically the same. Yes, we all have our different traumas and, and, you know, whether there's diagnoses or not, but, but we're humans and, and it's amazing how you can use some of this stuff just to make life better for the kids in your home.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I definitely need to read it. I'm nowhere where I should be, I feel, in this journey of <laughs> being a better parent.
0: Yeah, it's like I said, it's not a parenting book. You won't find it in the parenting session, but you, you realize that this guy, he's talking about negotiating with terrorists and that's kind of a parenting book.
2: Well, a teen mom um, seems to fit that category.
0: (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yes, because, yeah, and and it it changes the way that you approach people as well. Because when you're dealing with, whether it's bio kids dealing with stuff, foster kids dealing with stuff, adopted kids dealing with stuff, bio parents who are dealing with things, even caseworkers, because they have their own perspective. And you learn to look at things through the perspective of the people you're talking to. And, man... It's that little shift right there allows you to be able to, to maybe get what a kid needs. You know, it's it's through some of that, that that we were able to get Turtle into some equine-assisted psychotherapy here a while back. And man, that was such a great a great thing for him. And wow. I wish they had a program that lasted longer than that one did because I would love to be, but they, they've already, we've run through the entirety of the program, but it was just so helpful for him. Wow. But it's just so amazing talking to people and learning how to how to work through the all the roadblocks that people have to problems and go wait wait no i'm I'm gonna approach this from a different perspective yeah i don't I'm gonna help these kids and you know because honestly it's whenever you do things like this sometimes it can look to other people like you're being very manipulative if if you explain it to them but the truth is the difference between manipulation and mentorship really is all about your intentions
2: yeah yeah well uh, I think the author should be sponsoring
0: this book for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I've actually spoken with Chris once. He he came to the dad's group that, that I'm a part of and um and he uh he came into the group and, and we did like a live Zoom call and I had an opportunity to talk to him a little bit about some of the stuff that he's done. Super great guy, super interesting mm-hmm. dude. I think he's from Iowa, but as soon as he talks, you're like Uh uh, he's from new york comes out he he lived a lot in new york you couldn't hear any iowa in his voice at all but he is the typical like new york cop sounding guy because that's who he was and just a great dude and and such an interesting fellow so Uh i always love finding resources like that that they can help that that we wouldn't hear about otherwise
2: yeah yeah oh what a what a great time you have in those uh groups as well and and here i feel
0: yeah that that's kind of my support group you know yeah um, I lead a couple groups I'm the leadership team on on that group now and I lead a couple groups and and on Monday mornings we we have a call that's um it's raising God's most vulnerable children it's it's a call dedicated de- to dads of neurodivergent kids because mm-hmm. as a foster parent I'm certain you have experienced a lot of kids with neurodivergence something that's not which what, what the world would call neurotypical
2: yeah yeah uh yeah and and also, trauma changes the way the brain develops. And uh, so, by default, they're just wired a little bit different than, than what our um, bio kids.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We've got I, I, I laugh sometimes and my little guy, my youngest son, I will say, you know, the DSM needs to come up with a with a new diagnosis because ADHD needs like a plus level or <laughs> <laughs> the premium membership. I cause cause his kid. I mean, a
2: VIP. Yes.
0: <laughs> ADHD AF or something like that. He's just he is very, very ADHD and, and as much as as, you know, I, I talked with um, Eileen Devine here a little while back. That one hasn't gone live, um, but by the time this episode goes live, you guys should have heard Eileen talk uh, um, about what she does. And one of the things, she has a group called the Resilience Room, and it's a support group for parents of what you would call neurodivergent kids. It's parents of neuro- neurodivergent kids. And she talks about the benefits that these kids can actually get from some of these so-called neurodivergencies or diagnoses, or you know, this kid has ADHD. You know, this is what attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and so we're calling it a disorder. But okay. let's be honest, because I I was never diagnosed as an ADHD kid, but as an adult, I look back and go, oh yeah,
2: oh yeah, you were.
0: But I have I have an amazing ability now. If you want to, if I wanted to learn something about, I wanted to, to get into just figuring out how to, how to like smoke a brisket or smoke something. Like I just, I had this weird inkling. So I went on Craigslist or, or Facebook marketplace and found a, a cheap use deal. And, and then I went to YouTube and everywhere else on the internet and I went into the rabbit hole. And I came out like two weeks later with an incredible amount of information. I am the guy that if you want to know something and I go search it out, I'm gonna know everything about it. And that's where that's become my superpower. I have incredibly deep knowledge on things that sometimes are a little bit useless because let's be honest, I don't always dive into the best rabbit <laughs> holes, but it's it's an it's an ability that most people don't have.
2: Maybe I need to do a diagnosis for me as well <laughs> because I feel the same way. Oh, this term I don't know. Like, let me research it a little yeah.
0: bit further. I came across the word the other day, and and I'm Google searching the etymology of some some what was it? Dissonance. Co- uh, <laughs> the word cognitive dissonance. I'm like, I want to know where this where this word even comes from. And I, I went all the way back to like the old French and the Latin and the the. But those that's where those skill sets come in. Like I can go learn so much more about something than your average person has the patience to sit and go dive into. And so when we look at these kids who have these disorders, syndromes, whatever disease, whatever we wanna call it, the truth is is that there's there's a real like ability there that yeah. that we don't, you know, the average human doesn't have. This can become their superpower.
2: That's amazing. It's such a rich perspective to look at it that way. And how do we teach our our kids to be able to see um, those as abilities rather than disabilities?
0: And that's the secret there, I think, is understanding that this is, this is a special ability, not a disability.
2: Yeah. 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 um, I was actually thinking about the, the book as well. And I had to learn so much from terminology and, and, uh, and just everything that these kids go through to write the book, my editor was very much into research. It needs to be not only your story, but informational. So I dug into some deep holes on, on everything related to trauma and uh, the aspects when kids age out of foster care and everything that is related to. But yes, deep, deep, uh, deep research there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the beauty of that is, you know, that was useful for, for a book. And you went through that process and how many people can pick up that book now and go learn something from it and your ability to take that and just, just make the world a better place because you went through some stuff that I'm just going to go ahead and assume you probably had some hard moments that led to the writing of that book, right?
2: A hundred percent. That was, it started me journaling like you did with all my deep feelings and then um, it became some people need to know and I need to advocate. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And what I've found is, is we've, we've been through hard things as, as human beings, most, most humans go through hard things as foster parents. Like we pull on that, that secondary trauma you're talking about. And we have so much in us, but once we build that, that ability to, to see that for what it really is, change our perspective a little bit, and then share those lessons with the world around us, then suddenly we, we have the pain, we have the hard things in our life, but it's not wasted pain.
2: Anymore. It's not wasted, exactly. Exactly. That's um. So so this book is opening some doors to be able to just have a discussion around. Hey, we need to look at all the kids, not only the foster kids, but all the kids involved. And I was talking with my agency this week, and we were t- um. After I wrote the book, when the head of the agency did a course to explain trauma to the permanent kids in the homes, so to prepare them for what. Should they expect uh, from the foster kids coming into a home? But then we were thinking. I then I I did a, an interview to my kids, and I'm like, how was the course, and and what did you learn, and and what could you improve? And they said, yeah, they told us I understand trauma and what does to the brain, but I don't know what to do when I see those behaviors. So, and it's so true. We <laughs> when you have a foster child with behaviors, what is the expectation that that kid? or how should they behave, behave, how should they feel, what, what help do they need? Um, for example, now my youngest child has a, a, a code word because he doesn't want to talk about the foster kid or their behaviors. He just talks about the code word. So he will say Pac-Man, and that means he needs help because of an issue with the foster child. So then I go in and pull them away or separate right? And that way it's secret. So there's a foster child doesn't realize that it's about them. And then my kid feels safe enough to be talking. So yes, it's imperative to be sharing whatever we're learning so others could benefit from it.
0: Oh yeah. If you ever hear Amanda say mom says bananas, look out, things are about to happen. You're going to see a flurry of activity. That's, that's the, the phrase in our home that, that our kids uh, chose and you know, for, for their, their particular thing that, that we were dealing with at the time. And it's so useful. And for anybody listening, if you really want to know what to do about trauma, um, one of the amazing resources available for free out there on the, uh, on, on YouTube is, um, Miguel, are you familiar with Karen Purvis?
2: Yeah. Amazing. I, I just recommended it her to a teacher.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Everything she has is is out there on YouTube and over on that corner of my desk that nobody can see what I'm pointing at, but I, there's two of her books sitting there um, right now because her stuff is so useful in that way. It's, how do I, okay, now that I understand it, yeah. how do I deal with it? Yes. You know, how do I deal with a kid who walked into this house with all kinds of trauma and, and it's, and, and the, the tricky thing is, is that, the way that she she advocates for dealing with it, a lot of times people go, oh, well, you're just letting that kid get away with it. Yeah. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, no, that's not no. it. But it looks <laughs> that way, and you're free to think that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: or not, maybe we should educate a little bit more. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna stand here and argue with you and let you tell me that I'm being a bad parent because I'm not handling this the way you would. I'm yeah. from the Midwest and let me tell you, here, most of the people who see behaviors pop out will just say, you need to whoop that kid. That kid ain't been, ain't been spanked enough. And well, sometimes that may be true with certain kids because I know a kid or two that probably needed the hard side of dad's hand and the softer backside occasionally. God knows I needed it a few times. But that's not always the case. No.
2: When you see the kid
0: having them meltdown in Walmart. That's not just necessarily an indication of a kid who's being an idiot. Sometimes a kid who's been through hellacious trauma that you do not understand. And and there's there's a parent that are trying to work their way through some trauma with a kid. And that's what's really going on. What you're seeing is is the steps of that trust based relational interventions that, that Karen talks about so much. And it can do so much for these kids.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I think what what it would be helpful would be how do we adapt that training in, in for the other children in the house? So how could the other children react? I haven't been able to see training like that. That that to me is for those of us who have permanent kids in the home. That would be so useful.
0: Oh yeah, because there are there are times. Where- Ah, uh, I'll throw this in on my my own kids a little bit. My my 15 year old daughter, it makes her insane when she sees like you know my my little guy like when he's having a moment. Sometimes he has a moment, and that happens right. Yeah. And she's like, well, you just let him get away with that blah blah blah. And the funny thing is, our oldest son, who is now 24, a year or two ago, he was standing here in this office and he watched an interaction between me and that particular kid when he was having a meltdown moment. And he came in here and. And I sat you know, sat down, take the air out of my little office chair here and get down on his level, and I talked to him nice and slow and, and, and Chris Voss, one of the things he talks about in the book is finding that FM radio DJ voice, you know, the late night FM radio <laughs> and so I my voice Oh well, you have that. <laughs> and, and I'm intentional about slowing my pace, yeah. slowing the words, and being you know, really intentional about how I talk to him. And it wasn't probably thirty seconds later, he was calmed down we talked through whatever it was i say, like, all right well we worked it out you know here you go bud give me some knuckles boom and yeah. he runs off to the other room to play and my oldest son who doesn't who, who did not see a dad he didn't grow up with a dad who knew how to do that he looks at me he says where the hell was this guy when i was that size <laughs> because yeah, he, he didn't know about any of that. And even, you know, I've talked with him about a lot of it and and he is in the same shoes some days where he's, he's saying, well, I'm not certain that's the way you should handle it. But you know, I, I tend not to take parenting advice from anybody who doesn't have kids or anyone who is under the age of, (laughs) of 30. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do that with your bio kids for sure. Yes,
2: yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and,
0: are you okay yep yep yeah you know, amanda just walked back in and i was i was looking at her there because she was she she just got the kids in the house
2: oh okay good good is she joining us
0: no she's she's um she's taking care of uh, kiddos here for a minute and um um I was, well, actually she's going to come back here for just a moment as we wrap this up today um yeah she's here
1: got three of them back there oh, you go. Go
0: <laughs> we, we have all four in the house now?
1: Yes, all four in the house. It's raining its butt off outside.
0: Yeah, we, we could hear that in here. I think all the listeners get to hear the, the Missouri rain just trickling <laughs> down so ever nice and gently, right?
1: Yes, very gentle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like it's trying to come through the windows today. But, well, I appreciate you coming in here today, Carmen Maria, just to tell us your story and talk about your book because... Stories like this are what we need to, to be giving to other people so they can see a fuller picture of this of this uh, whole uh, of this whole thing that we call foster care.
2: Yeah, yeah, no thank you Jason and Amanda for having me here. I think it's such an important uh, matter that that there is not enough information about it. so thank you.
1: No, there's definitely so many things you know looking back that we probably would have done differently with our bios starting this yeah. journey.
2: Yeah, so that's what I'm hoping for others to to realize. I even had an influencer that read the book, and, and she said, I'm not ready to be a foster parent right now. I'm like, okay, that's good. So it's good that you're going eyes wide open. And if you say yes, because you know, and if you say no,
1: that's okay, too. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thanks
0: for your time today. And um, we'll make certain that the book is linked in the bios and are in the uh, the, po- the podcast show notes and all that uh, so that anybody who is interested can find it. There'll be a link. I assume your book is on Amazon, right?
2: The book is in Amazon, Bards and Nobles, um, Cobo. So wherever you can find a book, it, it is there.
0: Okay, good deal. We'll have a link to it there so people can find it nice and easy. And uh, and we, we'll uh, hopefully have a less eventful week and get an opportunity to read through this book ourselves.
2: Oh, yeah, thank you. And and hopefully, yes, I'm crossing fingers for all the health issues. Thank you so
1: much. Have a wonderful day.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay Foster Care Nation. <laughs> thank you for listening to Carmen Maria's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at FosterCareNation.com. You can contact with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. Don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash foster care nation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always,
2: you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. so cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks thanks thanks
0: Unparalleled <laughs> Studios, studios.